This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Alley. Our guest this week is Alex Moore, Chief Development Officer at D.C. Central Kitchen. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Alex Moore next Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about the biggest challenge facing humanity, feeding a growing population. Syngenta's Good Growth Plan is about six commitments to make crops more efficient, rescue more farmland, help biodiversity flourish, reach and empower smallholders, help people stay safe, and to look after every worker throughout the entire supply chain network. One Planet, Six Commitments. Learn more at www.goodgrowthplan.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. The staff and volunteers of D.C. Central Kitchen are a model for groups that continue to battle hunger and poverty across the country. Alex Moore says there are over 100,000 residents in the D.C. area alone that struggle with food insecurity. The hunger include people who are employed full or part-time, seniors on fixed incomes, and thousands of children. Moore says federal nutrition programs are a lifeline for hungry people. We serve 13,000 meals a day, um, which in the nonprofit space is an enormous number. However, that's less than 10% of the need in our city based on the number of people who are receiving SNAP and related federal assistance benefits. And so if we were to see cuts at the federal level to SNAP and WIC and other essential programs, there's no way private charity, no matter how resourceful or enthusiastic or mission-driven we are, could possibly expand to meet that need. And so it's vitally important that we protect those programs and that you have programs like D.C. Central Kitchen that aren't just feeding people but are offering job training and workforce development services so that people who are receiving meals or federal assistance are able to get themselves onto career pathways and move towards financial independence. The House Agriculture Committee has had a number of hearings about nutrition programs, and one of the statements is is that the SNAP program is meant to be uh, a hand up, not a hand out. Thus, some are discussing greater regulation, uh, uh, things that individuals would have to do in order to continue to receive benefits. Can you understand their line of thinking, and what would that mean to the area that you serve? Uh, I certainly understand the line of thinking, and uh, the phrasing of sort of hand up versus hand out um, is often applied to our work because we are a very successful job training provider helping people who have been homeless or incarcerated or survived uh, addiction or trauma um, with a 90% job placement rate in our city's hospitality industry. So we are a workforce provider with a great track record. Um, and yet, if you want to see our track record falter, um, place additional work restrictions on SNAP. Uh, we have a great success record working with men and women who have been on, on SNAP and other assistance programs, but we are only successful when we are able to work with people who are truly ready for the type of intensive job training support that we provide. And so many other basic needs have to be in place. People have to know where they're sleeping at night. People have to know that the child care arrangements they have for their kids are safe and decent and dignified for them to be able to focus on an intensive and challenging workforce training opportunity. Uh, and so it's really important that SNAP is something that is responsive and available to people who need it, and that, yes, there are uh, opportunities to enroll people in workforce services, but that runway needs to recognize the many things that have to be in place for people to be successful in taking full advantage of job training opportunities. Alex, do you think there are similarities within your service area and other regions of the country? 
Uh, absolutely, and I think so many of the different elements of our programming are scalable. Um, our meal production is rooted in recovering wasted food, and uh, you know we're able to turn wasted food into 5,000 meals a day for frontline agencies across D.C., and food waste is a national issue, whether that's farm-level food waste or retail food waste, commercial food waste. Um, certainly, that can be used to fuel important community programs. Um, the job training program, you know, we have a hospitality industry that um, is enormously dynamic in this country, and and so the idea of using um, food access programs as uh, jumping off points for job training and job creation um, is something you can see all across the country. And one way that we also help sort of scale these types of programs across the country is through our Campus Kitchens Project. So we help colleges and universities use their idle cafeteria facilities, which are only in use a couple hours a day, and equip students to take on leadership roles, recovering food that's going to waste, using those idle cafeteria facilities to prevent the waste of a million pounds of food year and turn those uh, wasted items into healthy, balanced meals that students are able to deliver to um, a whole host of community partners and at-risk families in ways that are sort of scoped and designed for the needs of rural, urban, and ex-urban communities all across the country. Do you think that some of the food safety regulations that are in place are promoting food waste that are denying hungry people food that would help? Uh, I think it is less of a regulatory issue than an awareness issue. You know, we were part of uh, a coalition of, of advocates back in the mid-90s that passed the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act. And so most people still do not know that there is a federal liability shield protecting people and organizations who donate food to nonprofits with the intention of feeding hungry people. And so... It, this has less to do with people sort of trying to comply with existing regulations as falsely believing that there are regulations in place that actually don't exist. Alex, what are the sources of food waste? Is it just from restaurants and catering business and, and, and hotels? Uh, what about the waste that's from the farm? I guess the bigger question is what are your resources for finding this food that's being lost? We started food recovery with hotels, restaurants, and nightclubs in D.C., and driving around vans to these different locations that are at sort of a retail level late at night to pick up their leftovers. Um, as we've grown, we've been able to move up the food chain to grocery stores, to food wholesalers, um, whether those are produce wholesalers or meat wholesalers, um, and ultimately all the way to the farm level. And so we're actually going out and gleaning ugly fruits and vegetables, fields that might not otherwise be picked with volunteer labor, picking fruits and vegetables, bringing those back to our processing facility and using all these different items. What is missing in most communities is the physical infrastructure of a community kitchen that has its own refrigerated vehicles to go pick up this food, has kitchen staff and volunteers and kitchen equipment. So you can deal with the sometimes surprising uh, and widely varying ingredients of items that may be donated, whether that's protein, starch, fresh produce, perishable items, and being able to transform that into a balanced meal. It's not enough just to pick up food in one place and dump it at a homeless shelter or a child care program and assume that you know those leftover bread or pastry items are going to be a balanced meal. You really need those community kitchens that can transform these different ingredients into something that is nutritious and dignified for the end user. Alex, your website identifies five different social ventures that you employ to fight hunger. Can you outline those and the ones that, that really stand out for you now? 
So we uh, addressed hunger and poverty through, through, again, these five core programs. The first in our beating heart is our culinary job training program, which is a 14-week vocational training program that offers knife skills and life skills to adults with high barriers to employment, histories of homelessness, incarceration, addiction, abuse. Um, and we have a 90% job placement rate in D.C.'s thriving hospitality sector. Uh, but we also know that it's not enough to count on just the for-profit sector to create the types of jobs our graduates need. We want to try to create those jobs ourselves. And so today we employ more than 80 of our own graduates to carry out all of our other programmatic activities. That includes serving 5,000 meals a day to frontline homeless shelters and uh, nonprofits in D.C., serving more than 7,300 scratch-cooked locally sourced school meals in low-income D.C. schools, and delivering fresh, healthy food to now 70 corner stores in low-income areas of D.C. food deserts um, called our Healthy Corners Program. So we're actually helping small businesses get uh, deliveries of fresh produce and the physical infrastructure and technical assistance they need to be able to offer low-income consumers fresh healthy items at deeply discounted rates. Uh, and then the last of our core programs is the Campus Kitchens Project, um, which is how we scale these different types of solutions nationally. One that you have is the Healthy Corners Project. How does it work? When we uh, began serving healthy food in schools and pushing fruits and vegetables to kids, parents started coming to us and saying, I love that you're offering fresh fruits and vegetables, but I can't replicate that at home because my community doesn't have a grocery store. Uh, and so we said, how can we look at the existing assets of these underserved communities to help them become uh, healthier and more sustainable? And so we identified corner stores. These are also called mini marts or bodegas, depending on where you are in the country. And none of these stores offered fresh, healthy items. And we asked them why. Well, they didn't meet the minimum delivery orders for any traditional produce wholesaler. Uh, even if they were able to get a delivery, uh, they didn't have anywhere to stock all of that fresh, healthy food. They didn't have extra refrigeration space or shelving space. And even if they were able to, to store those items, they didn't know how much to charge. They didn't know how to market it. They didn't know how to connect with their customers and point out these new items. So D.C. Central Kitchen became a mission-driven wholesaler that gives the, these stores refrigeration and shelving units for free. We don't have minimum delivery requirements, so they can start with 10 or 15 items, of whether that's apples or bananas or fresh salads, um, to see what the market is. And the first of deliveries is free as they figure out what that consumer demand looks like. We give them a suggested retail price, and we do lots of in-store events that include nutrition education and cooking demos to help customers who may not be used to seeing those fresh, healthy items in those stores understand how to use them and understand how to make the most of every food dollar. Well, in order to provide that, you've got to have a source, and I'm thinking it's a little tough for fruits and vegetables in the dead of winter in the D.C. area. We have some wonderful partnerships with traditional wholesalers that fuel all of our operations. You know, we do use a lot of surplus food that is sometimes donated by those wholesalers, but we also purchase a lot of our ingredients. And so everything that we're serving through the Healthy Corners program or serving in schools uh, through our Healthy School Food program are actually purchased items. Sometimes that's through a wholesaler, but a lot of that is uh, directly from small and mid-sized family farms. And so this is a partnership that uh, may actually be interesting to some of your, your listeners. Um, when we began thinking about sourcing direct from local farms that really had been squeezed uh, over the course of the, the early 2000s, um, we began a partnership with CoBank, um, a leading member of the farm credit system, and they loved this idea of connecting rural farmers with urban food deserts through a community kitchen model. So we now are able to purchase directly from more than 35 small and mid-sized family farms, and we're not just purchasing their firsts, we're purchasing their seconds, their ugly fruits and vegetables, because we have the ability to bring those different items back 
process them, add value to them, and figure out whether they're a fit for a nonprofit meal, for a school meal, or for a corner store. Um, and as a result, we've become the only USDA-recognized permanent food hub in the District of Columbia thanks to that investment of support from Cobank. There was discussion as well with regard to the SNAP program that there would be requirements for any institution that would receive uh, SNAP funds that they would have to have minimum standards for fruit and vegetables or healthy foods in their stores. Yours seems to be that of volunteers, and that program seemed to be more of mandatory regulation. Is there a line? Uh, I think it's a mix of bottom-up and top-down. Uh, however, I think that it's really important that we meet corner stores where they are at because if you create a system that is punitive and and overly aggressive from a regulatory perspective, and you make it impossible for SNAP customers to purchase food in their communities, you're actually going to reinforce and contribute to food insecurity. Um, and so one of the things we've done through our Healthy Corners program is work uh, with the corner store owners to understand these changing regulations and ensure that any of the 65 stores that's working in our program now and receiving our deliveries is automatically meeting those stocking requirements by virtue of working with our program, and we're providing all the backup documentation that can be challenging for these small business owners to maintain so if they ever are reviewed or audited by relevant authorities, they have that paperwork. Alex, it seems the food industry continues to evolve, not only in the size of grocery stores and supermarkets, but now uh, the advent of online, ordering online and picking up the product at the store, or online and even delivery. If these continue to grow, uh, is that another avenue for D.C. Central Kitchen? I think that is a potential area of growth. Um, I think it's also an opportunity for us to see the overall food landscape uh, and, and from a food access perspective improving. Um, we're really excited about the idea of people being able to redeem SNAP through online grocers because think about the many SNAP customers who are elderly, uh, they may have mobility challenges, uh, they uh, may be dealing with physical disabilities, and if we can make it easier for those people to make healthy choices and uh, make the most of their financial resources, that's ultimately a win for anybody who cares about hunger and food access. Uh, as always, nonprofits are going to struggle to keep up with changing technology, um, but fortunately, I think uh, corporate social responsibility in the, the tech sector continues to uh, evolve and mature, and we're excited that we'll be able to work with uh, companies that are seeing food access and poverty issues as, as real social challenges that affect both their business and um, their social goals. And I think there will be great opportunities for pro bono assistance and skilled volunteer work from um, the tech industry to help nonprofits keep pace and find ways to be innovative. From the outside looking in, it seems that you need a readily supply of volunteers it has to take a certain amount of funds uh, from donations to survive this program. You need sources of food, uh, and certainly there is no shortage of those who are hungry. How do you make it work? Uh, we believe in doing a lot of uh, kitchen choreography. So every year at DC Center Kitchen, we welcome more than 16,000 community volunteers um, who help our production facility run from 6 in the morning to 8 p.m. at night. Uh, it's, it can be as much as a two-and-a-half-month wait to get in for a volunteer shift here in D.C. Um, you know, that's a, an embarrassment of riches. And we welcome volunteers from all over the country and all over the world who want to come and be part of our program. But from a financial perspective, I think it's important to share that we actually earn 60 percent of our budget through social enterprise contracts. Uh, we are paid for our school meals. We're paid for some of uh, the larger nonprofits that we serve. And that makes us more resilient. It makes us more flexible. And that's what allows us to employ 
80 graduates of our job training program at 14.25 an hour or better and offer competitive health and retirement benefits. So we aren't just a, a sort of hand-to-mouth charitable organization. Um, we know charities can only be successful if they don't know how they're going to make payroll next week. Um, and so our commitment to being a social enterprise um, has allowed us to take on more, take on risks, and do uh, new programmatic endeavors. Um, but it's also allowed us um, to learn as we've grown um, and respond to community needs as they emerge. You're to be admired in the fact that you didn't look to Washington to solve the problem. You rolled up your sleeves and went to work, and you're satisfying uh, a huge portion of individuals who are in need today. But if you were to have the opportunity to speak to legislators about nutrition programs and about hunger, Alex, what would you say? I think it's so important for us to realize that uh, poverty is not a moral failing of people who are in poverty. Poverty is a moral failing of a country that tolerates poverty. Um, and so I think when we talk about SNAP, it's so important that we recognize that this is a flexible, dynamic program that's there when people truly need it, um, and that most people who can work do work, and that everybody wants a dignified opportunity to make the most of their own abilities. And we see that constantly in our culinary job training program. We are a recipient of SNAP employment and training funds. Um, and I will tell you that I don't think those those funds are, are fully leveraged because um, there aren't enough organizations across the country that are aware of those resources or making the best use of those resources. Um, but if we want to see people move from dependence to independence, which is what people ultimately want for themselves and their families, um, we need to invest in workforce development programs programs as well as food access programs uh, and recognize that food access programs are the fuel that allow people, especially adult learners, to make full use of the job training programs that are available. Um, if we want a thriving middle class in every community in America, we need to build those career pathways and that means that people on the, on the workforce side need to be talking to people on the nutrition side and vice versa. We've heard more commodity organizations plugged into groups like Feeding America. How can farmers and agriculture groups partner with organizations like yours? Farmers can work directly with community kitchens like us um, in communities across the country. We are part of a national alliance called the Catalyst Kitchens Network, which has more than 80 members serving communities of all different sizes um, from Washington, D.C. to to Seattle, Washington. Um, And so what we have to think about is that there are more ways of addressing hunger in local communities than just food banks and food pantries. Those are vitally important, vitally necessary uh, tools in the fight against daily you know, emergency hunger. Um, but the role of community kitchens is so important. We're able to work with products that historically food banks might be less able to use because they're perishable, because they're non-shelf stable. Um, and so we need to think about sort of symbiotic partnerships where we leverage the ability of commercial kitchens to prepare prepare decent, dignified, balanced meals and the ability of food banks to efficiently move large quantities of more shelf-stable items. And where we can leverage those partnerships, there's an opportunity to, I think, really strengthen um, the food access network serving communities across the country. Alex Moore is the Chief Development Officer from D.C. Central Kitchen. Alex, you're a busy uh, individual and I certainly appreciate you taking time to visit with us here on Open Mic. Alex, it is open, Mike, and you have an open forum. I think one thought that I'd like to leave everyone with today um, is to think about the role that nonprofits can play today and should be playing in America going forward. So often we're seen as something extra, something that's nice to happen if it can happen. Organizations that can be funded with leftover pennies at the end of the year um, or a good use of your tax-deductible gift. 
When in fact, you know, nonprofits are 10% of the U.S. economy. They're 10% of our workforce. And really, I think there's an opportunity to see nonprofits as private sector actors imbued with public purpose. And when you look at our corner store program, when you look at our school food program, our job training program, we're really bridging the gap between where the public sector ends and the for-profit sector begins. We're getting qualified workers into small businesses. We're helping small businesses order fresh produce that they can't get from the for-profit sector. Um, we're maintaining outstanding student participation rates uh, in schools with menus that people said low-income kids would never be interested in eating. And so if we think about nonprofits as incubators for new ideas, it can really flip, I think, the narrative and the role that we've carved out for direct service charity. Part of that starts with giving nonprofits the, the financial resources that they need to do this work well, and that's something that the public sector and the private sector have a role in. But it's also about bringing nonprofits to the table. We have incredible learnings. We have data. We have the ability to evaluate programs. Um, and we have people that really know what the front lines of these challenges look like. And so as we see legislators thinking about new solutions as we think about how for-profit companies are imagining their, their giving and their social impact strategies. There's a huge opportunity to listen to the nonprofits who are doing this work. Um, that's why I appreciate the chance to chat about with you, chat with you today on some of these issues, and I hope um, it's a sort of a larger conversation for how community kitchens like D.C. Central Kitchen can plug into these bigger conversations nationally. Our thanks to Alex Moore, Chief Development Officer with D.C. Central Kitchen, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. See how we're focusing on our one planet with six commitments. See the Good Growth Plan on the web at www.goodgrowthplan.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.